Father, whether we always have it at the front of our mind, we always are in desperate need of you. We are in desperate need of your guidance. We are in desperate need of your love. We are in desperate need of your presence in our lives. Lord, today, however we have come, wherever we are right now, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we pray that in your grace and mercy you meet us there. And we pray that through this time that we spend in worship together that you bring each and every one of us just a bit closer to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. This morning, we're wrapping up our Romans 12 Patterns and Puzzles series, and I want you to, as we read the text this morning, to keep in mind that Romans 12 begins with these words, therefore, in view of God's mercy. And it's under that umbrella that this whole chapter and really the rest of the book of Romans unfolds. So so remember that. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, and then we'll read the last few verses of Romans 12 this morning, verses 17 to 21. The words will be on the screen. You're also invited to uh, grab the Bible from the pew and keep it open in front of you for the sermon. The text is on page 1,123. And now hear the word of the Lord from Romans 12, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to have four points in the sermon this morning. They'll all be relatively brief, but I'm going to talk about two things this text calls us to do, and then two things that the Lord does to enable us to do what he calls us to do. But I'm going to start with two brief stories. The first story, and all of you have probably experienced something like this here, you're at a picnic and there's a couple kids who are wanting to get in line for the food and they're really hungry and, and they're siblings, and so naturally as siblings do, they start arguing over who gets to go first. Well, last time you went first. Well, I'm older than you, so I should go first. Well, I'm younger than you, so I should go first. Well, I went first last year. Well, five years ago you went first. And so it goes, and it gets more and more ridiculous, and often it ends up with a fight, right? There is wrath. Well, a second story. Growing up, we'd sometimes go out to eat as an extended family, and we had family scattered all over the place. It was kind of a big deal if we got together and, and went out to eat. And, and my cousins and I would always roll our eyes when the check came, because inevitably there was this discussion. I'm going to pay. You paid last time. I'll pay this time. Well, I'm the oldest sibling, so I'm going to pay this time. Well, I'm the oldest boy, so I'm going to pay this time. And it would go back and forth, and all of my cousins and I would just roll our eyes. We don't care who pays, just somebody pay, because this is embarrassing. We realized as we grew up that what our uncles and aunts and dads and moms were saying to each other was really not, I'll pay, but I love you. 
So we grow up, and now we have family even more scattered, and every now and then I get together with some of my cousins, and we, we did that once, and she brought up about how it was so silly, the previous generation always argued about who paid, and we both agreed that was quite silly, and she said, so I'm going to pay today. Fine. And then I paid the next time. There can be times when we outdo each other in wrath and trying to get ahead, and there are other times when we outdo each other in terms of, of generosity and picking up the bill. And what, what this text is largely about is who picks up the bill? Who makes the first step toward being generous? And the first action, and, and I tried to separate this out by verses, by the way, but it doesn't really work that way. The themes are all intermixed, so, so it's not going to go verse by verse. But, but the first call for us is to leave a place for peace. These verses invite us not to repay evil for evil, but if possible, to, to live at peace with everyone, to not take revenge. And basically what these verses call us to do is, well, is to pay the bill, to stop with the back and forth and who goes first and who goes second, and just, just to be the one who goes second. And maybe that works out financially, but it's much more about relationships here. And really, in any relationship that we've had, even a good relationship, but especially with a bad relationship that's lasted for any length of time, you will always have an atrocity or an injustice or a wrong that you can point back to and say, you owe me for that. But at the same time, the other person will always have an atrocity or an injustice or a wrong that they can point back to and say, no, you owe me for that. And as long as we're in that mode, the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And there is always a reason that you have to pay the other person back. And so there's always a reason they have to pay you back. And the cycle never ends. What Romans 12 calls us to do is to, to leave a place, to even make a place for peace. To be the one who pays the bill. To be the one who breaks the cycle by finally giving up your claim to justice and instead being the one to forgive. The Lord calls us to that back-breaking, difficult work of, of letting go of the debts that are owed us. And at the same time, and in the same way, the Lord calls us to this wonderful, freeing work of being able to be generous and, and cancel the debts that are owed to us. So leave, leave a place for peace. Zero out the accounts. Be the one who breaks the cycle. Close the books. And that's one action this text calls us to, but then it, it goes on even farther than that. This first point, leave a place for peace, in some respects, is, is a zeroing out, a saying, let's, let's get back to neutral. But then it calls us to go much farther than that, and in fact, to set a place at our table for our enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If she's thirsty, give her something to drink. Even if they can never pay you back, especially if they owe you big time, set a place for your enemy at your table. Now, this text in particular focuses on food, and I think that's because there is, there is a certain relational intimacy that comes with sharing food with each other. Eating with people is a sign of really belonging together. But while this text is about sharing food, it's about much more than that. It's calling us to care, to care even 
and to care especially for our enemies. Don't let evil overcome you, says verse 21, but overcome evil with good. And that's the Christian life, overcoming evil with good. Not paying back evil for evil, not even stopping at zero, but going way beyond that to pay the bill, to make a place, to be the one who welcomes others in. Now, there is, there is wisdom required here. You could read this text and, and think what it means is that I need to aid and abet everybody in what they want to do, and I need to just be a doormat, and I need to let them get away with things. And, and I don't think the Bible ever calls us to aid and abet in doing evil. It's not that exactly that this text is calling us to, but it is calling us to be unceasingly, unswervingly, unhesitatingly committed to the good even of our enemies. Now, that's, that I think is the extreme case, but, but if you work back from that, I think this text is calling us to make space in our lives for all kinds of people. Okay, for people we like, for our friends, yes, but, but even for people who maybe we don't know as well, who we aren't real close to, and maybe even for people we kind of dislike, and, and even even for people who we have good reason to despise. And so even if you read this text and you think, well, I don't really have any enemies, and in that case, lucky you, but even if you feel like you don't have any enemies, this text calls you to make margin in your life for other people. A lot of us fill our lives to capacity with our own things, and then there simply isn't room to to welcome the stranger in, to care for others who aren't already close to us. But, But this text, I think, calls us to do that, to intentionally ask where in our lives we can find margin to welcome others in. And maybe that means scaling your budget back a little bit so you have some room to be spontaneously generous. Maybe it means sitting with someone who's not in your friend group at lunch. Maybe it means having that awkward neighbor over, even though you know it's going to be a little bit of a struggle that evening. Maybe it means working to to cover some things for a colleague who's struggling. And maybe it means, maybe it means even for someone who is your unceasing enemy to find a way to do good for them. Now, the text tells us to do that, and and then it has a curious line that that people have lots of interpretations for. We'll talk about the main two today, but that line is, in doing this, in feeding your enemy and providing drink for them when they're thirsty, in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And doesn't that sound great, by the way? Yeah, heap burning coals on my enemy's head, woohoo! But what does that actually mean? And one of the main meanings, there's two, we'll we'll get to the other one later, but one of the main meanings is actually that that in caring for your enemy in this way, you're going to embarrass them. You know that that flush of shame when, when you're so embarrassed and you just blush and you can't control it and your head feels like it's on fire? What this text is saying is that if we treat our enemies that way and we really do care for them and we are committed to their good, then what will happen What will happen if we do that well is that they will actually become kind of ashamed of themselves. They'll realize that they are doing all these bad things to us and we repay them with good and and maybe that will turn to the redemptive. Maybe they will finally realize that their own behavior is not what it ought to be. Or maybe, and this is our real hope as Christians, maybe, maybe in their hearts they will realize that there is something wrong with them. 
that they need something that we have because they do not feel able to care for their enemies as we have cared for them. The idea is that somehow even through our witness, people who, who are not like us, who are distant from us, who do not like us, maybe turn to Jesus and maybe turned to a better way. But if we, if we stop and we think about that, and if you think about a really difficult circumstance in your life, a time when you really felt like somebody owed you big, and think about, think about canceling that debt. And now think about a second time in your life when somebody owed you big and and keep thinking about all the people who have wronged you and all the things that you would have to do and and then look forward and think of all the ways that you are likely to be wronged in the future. And, And as you do that, you should become more and more discouraged because we live in a terrible broken world where people do wrong to us all the time. And you might have incredible emotional or financial or mental or spiritual resources, but they will run out. In this life, you cannot give and give and give and give and give and give and give forever without, without running empty. And if we set out to live the life that this text calls us to on our own strength, we will run empty. These are not commands that we can really keep. And so what we need is, is even as we reflect on how we can do these things, what we really need to do is to reflect on how the Lord has enabled us to do these things. And so we're going to talk about that with two points now. And the first one, well, if we read verse 19, it says, do not take, my dear, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay Third point's kind of long. I'm going to leave it a couple times. I'm going to read it a couple times so we get it. Leaving a place for peace is also leaving a place for God's wrath. Leaving a place for peace is also leaving a place for God's wrath. You could read the verses and just say, well, I guess we just have to write off evil and that's how it is. And, and there is a way where that's what the text calls us to, that we should write off evil, that we should, that we should cancel debts, that we should let things go and not demand payment. But that works. That works not because, not because somehow everything will just work out in the end, but it works because God will work everything out in the end. We have a God who is perfectly just, entirely powerful, and completely in control. And so in the end, justice will always be served. Every evil we experience in this life will be paid for. But we are not the ones who collect the bill. We are not the ones who collect the bill. And that's good news because, because all of us would either demand underpayment or overpayment. We would go to people and, and either be willing to let too much slide or want to demand too much from them. And God is perfectly just, so he knows what everything is exactly worth, and he will measure it out to the nth degree. But there's also a way where this brings us freedom. Because you see, as long as you're stuck in that cycle of, I should go first, you should go second, you owe me, no, you owe me more than I owe you, as long as you're in that cycle, you have a miserable life. Because you are always keeping track of everything and you are always having to nail everything down. But what God's wrath does, God's perfect and perfectly measured wrath does, 
is let us off the hook. We no longer need to be the ones who demand justice. We no longer need to be the ones who demand that everything measure up. We can leave a place for peace. We can be generous because we know, because we know that in the end, the Lord will make sure that all debts get paid. And so we ourselves can lay aside the need for vengeance. We aside can, we can let things go, not because they don't matter, but because God will pay everything back. And so no, no matter how much we've been wronged by somebody, no matter how terrible their sin against us is, and we should not minimize how terrible sin is, no matter how bad all of that is, we don't need to pay them back because God will. And that's the second meaning we think in verse 20 of heaping burning coals on enemies' heads. If they do us wrong and do us wrong and, and we respond by, by feeding them and clothing them and providing for them, in a sense what we are doing is putting them in God's hands. We are saying, God, I will not pay them back, but I know that you will. And God pays everything and everybody back to perfection. God's wrath can actually be good news for us because it sets us free from being agents of justice, and we could never do that right anyway. But then again, we have a problem because if we have any level, even the tiniest level of self-awareness or honesty, we will have to recognize that we deserve God's wrath, that we have wronged other people, that we have done what we should not have done, and we have not done what we should do, and so we owe God a debt too. And what do we do with that? And what we do with that is we recognize that we, all, we, we do all of this in view of God's mercy. And so we recognize that the Lord sets a place for us. And this is the foundation of our Christian life. Not that we live up to everything the Bible calls us to do. Not that we are good enough. Not that we manage to pay God back or pay others out. But, but that God is merciful to us. Somebody always has to pay the bill. Somebody always has to pay the bill. And in Christ, God has paid the bill for us. When we gather and we reflect on Jesus, we see that in Jesus Christ, God has, well, has showed his wrath against sin and evil, and he has showed us that he is a just judge, but he has also showed us that he is a gracious father. And so he himself in Christ absorbs the punishment that was due us. If you, are, well, if you are struggling to hear these verses well today, if you are feeling like, if you knew what my enemies were like, you would not dare to say that I should forgive them. Or if you were, if you were here today and saying, I do not have the resources for that and I don't see how I could ever get there, then stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself and start looking to Jesus. And look to Jesus who, even for those who put him on the cross, even for those in a travesty of justice and good order, executed him. Even for those people, even as he was dying, Jesus looked on them and said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And Jesus looks at all of, all of us all the ways that we have wronged each other, all the ways that we have wronged him. And he says, Father, forgive them. And in the wealth of the grace of the Lord, 
paid for by Jesus Christ, applied to us by the Holy Spirit. The Lord does pay for us. He sets a place at his table. He invites us to his supper and says, this is free because I've already footed the bill. One last story as we close. So I grew up in Denver, but I went to college here in the Chicago area, and my dad's an architect, and at that point, his company was doing a lot of work with Sears, so he was often in Chicago, and he'd do his best to set up his flight so that he could swing by college, pick me up, and take me out to dinner. And he'd pick me up, and he'd say, where do you want to go? And I could go anywhere I wanted to, as long as he could still get to the airport on time. But within a certain radius, any restaurant was open game. So sometimes we went a little extravagant, sometimes we went kind of basic. But, but any time, he'd say, where do you want to go? I'd name the place, he'd drive there. And of course, he'd pick up the bill every time. There was never hesitation, there was never discussion, there was never anything. We both knew that, that I didn't have much money. I'm a college student, right? So I had some money, but did I? no, I didn't have much money. And he, he knew that, but he loved me, and he wanted to spend time with me, and he wanted to, wanted to get me away from cafeteria food for once, because I never had a car in college, and so he'd just foot the bill wherever we wanted to go. And then when he dropped me off, he'd hand me a 20, or sometimes he'd hand me a 50 and say, hey, do something fun with your friends. Go out to dinner with them. Treat them to some kind of food. Do something good. We, we, when it comes to our Heavenly Father, we have nothing. We can't pay the bill. We can't do anything. But he provides for us. He comes to us and he invites us out to supper and he, and he feeds us. And then, then he provides for us so that we can give to others. This is the Christian life, understanding that, well, understanding and living out that God, through Jesus, has paid it all. And so we are invited to come and celebrate with him and to go out and live for him. We can't afford what we need, but God himself pays for us. This supper that we'll share in today, this word that we hear are signs and seals of God's grace to us. And because the Lord has set a place for us, we can share in his grace. Let's pray. Father, we gather in view of your mercy. And Lord, we pray that you apply your mercy to each and every one of us. Lord, if we have not yet wholeheartedly committed to you, then we pray that you work in our hearts to show that you are real and that you care for us so deeply. And Lord, if we are at a place in life where we are really struggling to forgive other people or to care for them, then we pray that you work in our hearts to help us really understand how much you have paid for us. And Lord, out of that, out of that unending fountain of your grace, help us to begin to make small steps even today, even this week, to forgive others and to provide for them. We pray all this in your name. Amen.